text, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be at this morning. You know, and we're going to continue in our study of this is us. This is our study of the church, who the church is, what the church does, why the church does some of the wacky things that we do, and what they mean for us, not just on a religious level as far as just a doing them to accomplish a task out of duty, but what they mean for us as a people of faith stepping into obedient faith and how they speak into our lives, the things that we do, the things that we, uh, that we mean, and the things that we say. And this morning, last week, we talked about baptism and how baptism is for us, how it speaks of our life uh, as a redeemed person of God, child of God, and what that reflects to the people around us, what it means to us that action has weight, it is important. Baptism is a spiritual experience that happens to us. And then this morning, we continue on, and we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. And before we read the text, we have to understand that the Lord's Supper, um, it, it is uh, called that for the first time in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, where they call it the Lord's Supper. Now, it is the Lord's Supper in the same sense of that if where you come to my house and eat, you're eating Jake's Supper, what I have prepared and kind of put together for you. In a sense, it's that because Jesus was the host of this supper. But it is also a supper or a meal in a sense of that Jesus Christ is taking this moment as he does with every moment and changing this ordinary experience into a God-ordained moment that the people of God enjoy and embrace, and that speaks to and through the people of God. And so uh, this morning, you know, uh, Jesus is going to be showing us something in this text, how he redefines this ordinary moment. And just before we get into it, I'm so thankful that God steps into the ordinary and redefines it into something extraordinary, which is what he's done for us as people and for his church. And he's changed this cafeteria that is air-conditioned, praise God, uh, into a place of worship where the presence of God comes and dwells amongst his people. And so thankful that God steps into the ordinary and transforms it into something extraordinary. And so that's what we see Jesus doing in this moment. And so uh, all throughout the Bible, you see these moments of people sitting at tables together, having a meal together. Uh, and you know that for us in the South, that is something very special to us, right? We invite people to our house. We like to feed them. We like to make sure that they enjoyed it, that they're full. We have several courses. We like to make sure that it is a great experience. And so all throughout the Bible, the Bible shows these moments of meal that are meant for a very specific purpose. A lot of times they just signify fellowship. They signify commitments. Sometimes they signify these covenant relationships or promises together. And specifically, they can be situations of grace. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, it says that Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And so this is Jesus sitting at the table with some of the most rotten, despicable people in the area. And so Jesus having this meal with people was this show of grace for these people who everyone else would have said they don't deserve a seat at the table. But Jesus offered this moment of grace. And we constantly see it through his ministry when he would offer grace by sharing a table with broken people. The very meal that we see Jesus sharing that we're going to talk about here to, uh, this morning is a meal he shared with the very person who would betray him. Jesus offers grace at the table. And as we step into what God's got for us, I pray that that is the lens at which we look at all of this with. God's grace. 
And so this particular meal was special because this would be the last time that Jesus would share a meal with his disciples and his apostles because not long after this, Jesus would be betrayed. And so this supper that we're going to talk about, this supper is a supper that Jesus used, that God has used to mold his people, to sanctify his people. A lot of times we use the word uh, that God has ordained this or he has established this act that we participate in as, a, as an act, a true spiritual moment that we partake in as the church. And as we'll see at the end, something we receive, not something that we're taking hold of, but something that we receive as the people of God. And so uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. We're going to read verses 14 down to 20 and move on this morning. Verse 14, it says, And when the hour came, he, talking about Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. It says, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In verse 20, he says, and likewise, the cup and after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray this morning. Father God, I just thank you. Lord, I ask you to speak through the texts. Lord, speak through my words. God, take my foolishness away. God, and just tell us what it is you have for us this morning. Humble our hearts and our minds to hear from you. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is sharing this meal, which is specifically the Passover meal, which they would celebrate every year. And if we remember from the book of Exodus, this Passover was meant to uh, remind them of the moment whenever uh, they, God had told them, sacrifice a lamb, smear the blood on the doorpost of your home, and the, the spirit of death would pass by and your firstborn would be saved. And so what this was, this was a defining moment for the people of Israel because after this, the Pharaoh would say, look, y'all aren't worth it. Go ahead and go. And so he would let them go. And we would know God would provide for them. God would protect them. And God would lead them to cross over the Red Sea, to be parted, to safely cross there where their enemies would be engulfed and, and destroyed in that moment. So God saved them. And so every year they would celebrate the Passover to remember that moment. But when we see in this moment, when Jesus begins to explain the elements, he explains them differently than how year after year after year they would have been explained. Because each element signified a certain portion of the remembrance that they would have about what God had done for them. For instance, the bread would be a reminder of the bread provided for them in the wilderness. When they had no food, they were crying out, we were better off in Egypt. When they were being defiant to God, God provided for them this bread, this manna that they would eat of. Also, they would have these bitter herbs and the bitter herbs reminded them, recalled their bitter slavery that they experienced at the hands of the Egyptians. And also, they would have salt water. They would have salt water. And this salt water would remind them of the tears shed under the Egyptian oppression. And so everything about the Passover meal would remind them of their slavery in a hope to remind them of what God had done to remove them from that slavery. But what we see Jesus, when he is lifting up the cup, when he is lifting up the bread, he's explaining these things in a new way, pointing to something greater, pointing to true freedom, 
pointing to a moment that we sit and enjoy this morning at the grace of God at his table. And so what I want us to see this morning is that there's two things as we approach the Lord's Supper. How we are to approach it, what it does for us. And then the second thing this morning, what it means for us to participate in it, what that looks like. And so the first thing that I want us to see this morning, what Jesus is communicating to them, that he is not pointing to their past, but he is pointing to something ahead of them. That he wants us to understand that you are what you eat, that you are what you eat. You know, and and for us, when we think about eating, everything we eat, everything we take in physically becomes a part of you, right? What you eat on a cellular level, what you eat affects your body. And if you don't believe me, you can go later on at lunch and go eat as much greasy um, L2 can as you can. And I promise you, it will affect your body in some way, shape, or form on a molecular, cellular level. Go after this and and take in a, a Red Bull or a Monster drink, about three or four of them consecutively. And I promise you, it will affect your body and on a cellular level. And so for us, we understand that when we eat things, take things in, it becomes us. It affects our metabolism. It affects our muscle growth, our fat development, our brain function. And so everything we take in physically, it affects us, providing for us, empowering us, strengthening us. And so what comes into us ultimately defines what comes out or what we uh, produce as people, how we navigate and function in this world. And so when Jesus is speaking to us, he's speaking on a very spiritual level, obviously, because we know that just taking in a single piece of bread and some wine would not fully satisfy us physically, but he's speaking of a spiritual satisfaction that he wants us to see and embrace. He's calling us to something more. And so he's telling us that when you take him in, that when you take in this bread, that you will be provided for, that it will affect you. And like physical things can not only affect us positively, physical things can also affect us negatively, right? That there are things that we take in that can affect us negatively, that can damage us if taken in in excess, that can poison us, that can systematically destroy us if we take them in, either not preparing them properly or taking them in in excess or taking in things that aren't meant to be taken in. You drink uh, lighter fluid, and I promise you, it will negatively affect you. You drink Drano, you will pay for it one way or the other. Uh, You know, that's why I always thought the pod challenge was one of the stupidest things that we as human beings have ever done. If you don't remember that, it happened a little while back where they take the little Tide Pod things and would would try to eat them or put them in their mouth, something weird and stupid like that. But, you know, we take these in things in that we were never meant to take in. They will negatively affect us. And what, what happens specifically when we are poisoned, for instance? When we are poisoned by something, what it does is it either slows our body down to a point that we weren't meant to be slowed down to, or it speeds our body up to a point to where on either end of the spectrum, we don't function in the capacity at which we are meant to function. And the thing is, is that this this poisoning can even happen from good things. Foods can poison us. Medicines can poison us. Church, even oxygen can poison us if taken in in a capacity that we are not meant to take in. And so taking that to our spiritual lives or the things that we do in our life, there are things that we take in that even though they may be good things for us, that they can hurt us. 
They can poison us. They can, instead of empowering us, they can strip power away from us. But what Jesus is pointing to them here and what he points to us specifically is he is pointing to us spiritual nutrition, spiritual satisfaction, a a diet that he is calling us to take in specifically. A lot of times we call the Lord's Supper communion. We call the Lord's Supper communion. And what the word communion means is it means a fellowship, a togetherness, a harmony. And so literally when we talk about taking communion, we are talking about taking in the, the, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, becoming one with it. And Jesus talks about this. He talks about himself, not on a physical level, but he talks about this on a spiritual level. He talks about us taking this in. Specifically in John chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can just flip over to John chapter 6. It's right past Luke. And in uh, and, and John chapter 6, we're going to be there for a minute. Hey, Garen, do you mind tur- turning the air on? I think it cut off. I can tell you I'll start to sweat here shortly, and it will be no secret. I appreciate it. John chapter 6, Jesus talks about himself as the bread. As the bread. Specifically in John chapter 6, verse 51. I'll let you find it if you're there. John chapter 6, verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will, forever, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus wants them to see that true life comes through him, taking him in, him being a part of their being. And so we know that he's not talking specifically, he's not talking about physical flesh, obviously. He's talking in spiritual terms because he says this in John chapter 6, verse 63. He says, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so not only can we know, obviously, he's not talking about this idea that, uh, that some people practice in the Christian faith called transubstantiation, where they believe that the body and blood physically become the body and blood of Jesus. We know that that's not what he's saying right there. But what he is telling us, even more so on a more practical level, that the flesh does no good for you. And so what he's telling us is the things that we take in in the flesh, the things that we try to enjoy in ourselves for satisfaction, for fulfillment that we try to find separate from him, he says they will not work for you. Church, there are a lot of things that we try to find physical satisfaction, spiritual satisfaction in in our lives that he tells us right here. He says, I am the bread of life that gives you life, that gives you everything you need. And he says the flesh, the things that we experience separate from him, those things, even though they may not be bad, those things will not work. They will not satisfy. And so what are those things? Sometimes we allow our jobs to be those things that we are just pouring our life into, that that is what we are taking in. That is what I am living off of. That is what I am identified by. That is what motivates me. That is what moves me. I am pouring everything into this and taking everything from that. That is taking of something that is of the flesh. Our kids. 
the things we do for our kids, church, those things can be something that we are taking in spiritually, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find worth, trying to find joy in the things that our kids do. And it's hard not to do that. Hey, as a travel ball parent, as a parent of a kid that's kids that are involved in things, it's hard not to be so completely invested in what they are doing that we stop taking in Christ. Maybe it's our money. Maybe it's our hobbies, these things of the flesh that we try to find satisfaction in. And he tells us here, he says, the flesh is no help at all. The flesh is no help for all, at all. You know, the satisfactions that we find in the flesh do not help us to sustain us, provide for us. And not, we're not saying that these things are bad things, but it's the way that we approach them. It's the way that we see them. How do those things become poisonous to us in our life? All of those things, even though not bad for us, are not bad. How can they become poisonous to us? They become poisonous to us when we are depending on them and we are seeking after or enjoying anything more, enjoying them more than we are the Lord. What we enjoy, if I could sum it up like this, I would say this. What we enjoy to do becomes toxic for us if it takes us from Christ. What we enjoy to do becomes toxic for us if it takes us from Christ. Anything that gets that much attention, because we are ultimately worshiping whatever gets the most of our attention and our time, that becomes the staple of our lives, if, we're, if it's the reality. The things that we spend most of our time doing, those become the central things in our lives. And so those are the things that we are ultimately taking from for our satisfaction, for our fulfillment, for our stability, for our foundation, all of those things. And so if those things are there, those become sinful. Those become things pulling us away from the Lord when they are getting more of our devotion than the Lord. In church, as sad as it is, even the work of Jesus himself can be poisonous if dealt with selfishly. And we see that because in this particular passage, this, this, this story is one of my favorites because Jesus communicates so much truth in these moments. In, in John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus said this to the crowd gathered around him. He said, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So even as people, the work that Christ has done for us and is doing for us and is establishing us in can become poisonous if that very work becomes our selfish motivation. This is where where self-righteousness comes from. This is where self-centeredness comes from amongst church people and amongst Christians. When we get so fixated on our own satisfaction, our own fulfillment, even in the work, the good works that Christ is laying before us, it can become poisonous to us if we are the only people that we are concerned about. And so he says, he says, you're only here for me because I gave you something that filled your bellies. You have seen no more value in me other than what I can provide for you in a physical form, in some kind of physical provision, in some kind of satisfaction. You know, some people go to Jesus for, for physical healing. Some people go to Jesus for monetary gain. They think, well, if I become a Christian, maybe I'll just make tons of money. I don't know about you, but I've missed that boat. You know, I've dealt with patients who thought that if they come to Jesus, if they have faith in Jesus, they, they would have physical healing. And most of them don't. You know, Jesus said, he says, you come to me for what you think I can provide for you physically. And he says, you are missing what I can give you. 
This is where we as Christians can fail, being selfish, focused on our own agenda, and striving for our own self-righteous needs instead of worshiping the true Christ and love for his neighbor. And in this moment, whenever Jesus is challenging them and what they're taking in, what they're taking in, how the Lord's Supper is this representation of Jesus laying himself before his people and telling them, take me in, that I am all you need, that I will provide for you, I will supply for you. When Jesus challenged them in this because they were so far gone from it, John chapter 6, verse 66 says this. It says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Church, the longevity and the reality of our walk will be dependent on how we take Christ in. Because if we don't see Christ for that full, satisfying, supplying sustenance that he has for us, then anything and everything can pull us away from him. Anything and everything can and will challenge us. And so when we see Christ, when we look at the Lord's Supper and what that means for me as a believer, that when I take in the bread, I am not just taking in this physical thing, that I am spiritually communicating that Christ is my sustenance, Christ is my supply, Christ is my gift that I am receiving. In 1 Corinthians verse 11, 27 through 29, talks about how we take him in, how we receive him. He says, whoever therefore eats, and you've probably heard this in church in situations when uh, you've talked about taking the Lord's Supper and kind of this uh, mindset of, and it says here, it says in verse uh, 27 through 29, it says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so what we have to understand about this is this is not Jesus's attempt at exclusion from partaking of him. But he's telling us that there is a way in which we approach Christ in our spiritual life. There's a way that we approach the Lord's Supper as a, sign, as a, a sign of that that is worthy or unworthy. And so like I said, this is not him excluding, but talking about this moment of preparation, that this way that we approach him. Because the reality is we're all unworthy to take in Christ, for Christ to become one with us, for Christ to dwell within us and to motivate us and to use us. We're all unworthy. But there is a way that we approach that we see him that we see what he's done. And the way Peter responds in this same text in John 6 is the example that, that just has spoken to me, and I pray that we could approach Christ in our everyday life. Because like Jesus said in Matthew 5, when he's given the, the, the Lord's Prayer, or Matthew 6, when he gives the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And so it's this daily taking, not only depending on God's provision physically, but God's provision spiritually. That he says that 
He provides, and so there's a way at which we approach him. And in John 6, verse 68 through 69, Simon Peter responds in this way, that this is a worthy way of approaching Christ in our daily lives. He said, Simon Peter answered him after the Lord said to him, he said, well, won't y'all leave also? Will you not go somewhere? And this is what Simon Peter said. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else will we go? He says, you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the one Holy One of God. I love that. He says, where else should we go? Where else will I go for my satisfaction? Where else shall I go for my fulfillment? Where else shall I go to find the, the, the direction and the foundation and the supplication of my life at? He says, you are the one, Jesus. That is us approaching Christ in a worthy way when we understand that when all else has failed, He is all we need. He is all that truly provides. He is all that truly upholds me. He is all that truly guides me and leads me and directs me and empowers me. And that when I take Him in, when all falls apart, I have a place to go. When I am afraid, I have a place to go. When those things that are important to me that I have in the flesh, when they begin to fall to pieces, when they begin to not make sense, I still have a place. Where else would I go? These things weren't the things I was depending on. Christ, it was always you. You held those things up. You made those things purposeful. You gave those things meaning. And the way that Peter approached and recognized Jesus first, he says he recognized him as Lord, as ruler. Jesus, you rule over all. You are in control of all. He says he also sees that there's value in spiritual well-being. That he says, you have the words of eternal life, more than material, more than earthly desires, more than what I do in my job, what my kids do, what my, what, how much money I make, how many friends I have, whatever I do. He says, you and your, what you offer me spiritually is more important, is more valuable than anything I can take in in this world. And then lastly, he says that, G, that you are the Holy One of God, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer. Church, as we approach Christ in a worthy way, that we would understand that He is all we need. But we have to understand this, church, is that it is impossible to be filled until we have been emptied. It is impossible to be filled by what Christ is providing for us until we have been emptied of ourself, of our selfishness, of our self-righteousness, of any attempts at holding on in our own strength. He says that before we can truly enjoy Him, we have to empty ourselves and understand that I am in need. Christ, that I need you. That you are the one that provides. And in this passage of, of Scripture, in this text, that we could see that we would be living like the few instead of leaving like the many. Because in this moment, many left. Many left him. Many took off. Many left where Christ was because they didn't get it. They weren't, they weren't depending on him. They were just looking for whatever the next moment of satisfaction was. And they didn't find it with Christ, so they moved on to something else. And so he says here, he's calling us to empty of ourselves to see how he can provide so that we would begin living like the few instead of leaving like the many. Remember, the Bible says that the gate is narrow, that the way is hard that leads to everlasting life. And so he has told us, he says, what I have for you, even even though it is tight and even though it is difficult, he says, what I have for you will far surpass anything you will find in this world. 
The Lord's Supper Church is us practicing our hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is us practicing our hunger and thirst for Him because we truly live when we are living on Christ. When we are pursuing Him, He is our satisfaction. He is our provision. Matthew 5, 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So when we are taking the Lord's Supper, we are practicing that hunger and thirst that He is satisfying, that He is providing, that He has given me what I need, that we receive what He has given. Remember back in Matthew, I mean, back in Luke, He says that He broke it, that He gave it, which was given for you, that He gave it to us, that He provided it to us for us to take in. Church, because if we think about it in the physical terms, seeing bread, knowing the ingredients of bread, taking pictures of bread, telling others about bread, selling bread, will not satisfy physical hunger in the same way that knowing who Jesus is, talking about Jesus, selling and wearing Jesus apparel does not make us know Jesus and it does not mean that we are taking in all of who Jesus is. He has given us something. So how do we take it in? How do we take it in? In the main way, church, uh, just straightforward, it's through His Word. It's through His Word. John 6, verse 63 says, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. John 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh, and that flesh is the flesh that we take in, which is His Word. John 5, 24 says, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And so His Word, God's Word, the revelation of His Word from front to back is how we take in who Christ is, what He wants to do in us. And so not only is the Lord's Supper a picture of us taking Him in physically and spiritually, but it is also us practicing the promises that He's made. He says this in verse 19 of Luke 22. He says, Do this in remembrance of me. Every time that something was celebrated in remembrance up to this point, they said, do this to remember the Lord. Remember the Lord your God. Remember what he had done. Remember what he uh, has done. Remember what he has done. Jesus said this right now. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Bringing focus to a pattern of promises that he was laying out for his people. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are practicing those promises. You know, we said at the beginning that Jesus explained this all in a new way. That the Passover before created a nation, slaves free from Egypt, and this new Passover that he was pointing them to, this new Passover would also create a people united in Jesus Christ that were freed from the effects of our sin for all eternity. From every failure, from every shame, from every guilt, from every mistake. He says that he has given us a new Passover, a new exodus, a new freedom that he is pointing to, that he has purchased redemption from sin for a world of lost sinners. And this was all prophesied in the Old Testament. They laid this out. They were preparing the way for this, for this moment when they would partake of the Lord's Supper and remember what Christ has done and what he was planning to do. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34 says this. This is what we live in now. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. 
That is significant when he says that I will put my law within them. I will write the law on their hearts because what he was speaking of is he was speaking of a law that not no longer stands outside of them to judge them, but a law that dwells within them to lead, guide, and direct them. He was speaking of a law, a religious system that doesn't stand around you and tell you everything you've done wrong and every place that you failed and every mistake that you've made. He says, no, this is a law that you receive into your very being that even as you fail on the outside, it is lead, guide, and directing you on the inside. It is showing you a new route. And what God has done on the inside of you cannot be broken by what's on the outside of you. So I can't fail enough to lose what God has done for me. That I can't make enough mistakes to lose what God has established within me. With the new covenant. By His blood. By His sacrifice. He says that I will put my law within them and I will write on their hearts. And he says that I will be their God. These people that turned their back on him, these people that in this same text would be exiled away from the promised land because of their mistakes. He says, you know what? They failed. They've made mistakes, but I will be their God. I will be theirs. And they will be mine. This new promise, this new covenant as Christians that we have this ability to walk in this confidence that God says that we are his and he is ours. I will be their God and they shall be my people despite what they've done. And he says that each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest from the least will know to the greatest. And he's talking about social status. He's talking about race. He's talking about monetary value. He says, I don't care how little they have or how little they've done or how much they have or how much they've done, that I will be their God, that they shall be my people, that there is no one excluded from what Christ has invited us to, that he's laid before us something to take in, a new covenant, a new promise that establishes us as children of a living God in a promise that says from the least to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more despite everything they've done I will forgive them I will make a way for them I will establish a new covenant with them that will not be judged by the outside law but will be led by the law on the inside that is a promise that I will never leave you nor forsake that no matter what comes against you, nothing can take you away. Jesus gave us a new covenant of forgiveness pointing to a greater promise. Church, in that promise, as a child of God, when we have taken in Christ, we have put our faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwells within us and we begin to walk and talk as in a faithful, obedient manner of the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism by partaking in the Lord's Supper, these remembrances, these reminders of what Christ has given to us for us to receive. He is pointing to a promise. He is pointing to a hope that we have to rest in. Remember, we've talked about the table being this place of fellowship, <clears throat> this place of promises, this place of covenants, and it also being this place of grace where the book of Revelation tells us about another dinner, about another supper, about another confidence that we can rest in, that it is coming for us. In Revelation 19:9, he says, And the angel of the Lord said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Church, there is a table of grace that is prepared for everyone who is a child of God. Since there is a dinner party waiting for you, a table of grace, a table of mercy, a table of forgiveness, a table of, of, of importance, a table of value, a table of worth. And from the least to the greatest, there is a spot for you. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we receive his body, we are practicing that promise. That he has another dinner waiting for us that we will enjoy for all eternity with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the most important things, church, as we wrap up this morning, and we're going to partake together, receive the body and the blood of Christ this morning together as believers. That I pray there's three things specifically that we see. That when we take of Christ's body and blood, that we are looking back to his body broken for us. That we are looking around to the physical and spiritual body that Christ has built and unified in the people. Remember, the Bible tells us that we are the body of Christ being put together. That we look around and see the physical body that he's building up, that his physical body was broken so that this physical body could be joined and unified together. And that we also look forward to what he has prepared for us. An eternal dinner party of grace that he has invited us to. So when we do this, church, our actions are showing what we believe and shape what we believe. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, every time that we take and receive the Lord's Supper, this is the opportunity for you to preach. When you take in the bread, when you take in the blood, you are proclaiming what Christ has done for you. You are proclaiming the message of the gospel, the bread broken, the blood spilled for the forgiveness of your sins, for the establishment of a new covenant of forgiveness for you. That we are saying, I believe what Christ has done for me. And if I had to wrap everything up this morning, I would say it in this way. That we are practicing our hunger and thirst and rediscovering the source of our true satisfaction and the faithfulness of his promises. This morning when we receive the Lord's Supper, we will be proclaiming those promises, reenacting those promises, and depending on those promises. And so we're going to pass... Uh, the elements around here shortly. And then we're going to end and just worship the Lord together. But I pray this morning, you know, the Bible tells us to approach it in a worthy manner. I pray that if you feel unworthy this morning, that you would say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to see you. Not forgive me necessarily. Yes, ask for forgiveness for your sins. He says he is faithful and just to forgive. But even more so, that we would ask God, forgive me for the way that I've approached you. Forgive me for not seeing the value. The Bible tells us in that verse in 1 Corinthians that, we, that they weren't discerning the body adequately, that they were approaching it in an unworthy manner and they were not seeing the value of what it meant to take Christ in. That we would just this morning lean into this and we would say, Jesus, you are more valuable than anything in my entire life. You are more valuable than the breath I take, the, the wife you've given me, the kids you've given me, the job you've given me car you've given me, the house you've given me, the 
the parents you've given me, whoever you've given me, God, you are more important, more valuable than all of those things. And in partaking of this and receiving this, we are practicing that hunger and thirst for his righteousness, for his goodness, not my own, but his. pray for us really quick. And and I'll ask that if you know, you know, if this makes no sense to you and and you just don't, don't feel comfortable taking it, man, let it pass and feel okay letting it pass. But if you see the value in Jesus this morning, you see the value in Jesus and what he's done and who he is and what he wants to do with you, then I invite you to partake you've put your faith in Christ, I invite you to partake, to receive what Christ has done for you, remember it, and live in it this morning. So bow your heads and close your eyes, and as as the elements come, you can take and, and be prepared. And I'm going to pray for us, and as the worship team comes up, take and then we'll worship together. Let's bow our heads and pray together this morning. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your body broken for us. God, I thank you for the promise of a greater exodus that you've given to us, God, a freedom from our sin, a freedom from the burdens of our hurt and our shame and our guilt, God. All the things we've done wrong, all the places we've failed you, all the places where we've made mistakes, God, you've offered us an exodus from those things. And that's through your body broken and your blood shed for us, establishing a new covenant, a covenant of forgiveness that we only find in you. Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the only way, the truth, and the life. So God, I pray this morning, if there's one that hasn't believed in you, God, any here this morning that have not put their faith confidently in you, God, I pray you tell us that they believe and receive you, that they will be saved. God, I pray for that confidence. Lord, and as believers this morning, I pray that as we approach taking your body and your blood in, that we would do it in a worthy manner remembering you, having confidence in you and what you've done and what you plan to do and the table that you've invited us to, a table of grace and forgiveness. Father God, we love you. Thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name. Church, I ask you to take the body.